You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Happy Father's Day to all the, uh, the dads in here. Raise your hand again. Let me see the dads in here. Come on. Come on. We honor you, man. I've got one daughter right here. I got a nephew over here. I got another daughter in the back helping with the kids. And then I've got a daughter downtown. And so it's an honor to be with you guys. I a uh, couple of things. One is I just want to, I just want to one talk about fathering, and then just a little bit about it because it's been the greatest honor and privilege of my life is being a dad. We have three daughters. And uh, 21, 18, and 10 have a son in heaven. I have a couple of miscarried sons and daughters in heaven. And uh, I can't wait when we cross over and all these, I don't know, grown men, <laughs> grown women crossing over and looking at them and they have my cheekbones and my nose and my eyes. And they, anyway, I'm just looking forward to those days. So I'm even speaking to some of those pain parts, too, of, of being a father and knowing that our relationship with our children is going to last forever. It's beautiful. And so it's the greatest honor and privilege of my life is raising our kids. And uh, it's also, you know, one of the most exposing of all my insecurities, deficiencies, lacks. <laughs> it's the great exposer. Huh? Can I get an Amen. I just want to talk about my dad for a second. I got my brother here with me too here and uh, from Kansas City, and he's just dropping off. My, my nephew's going to be running here in the upper room world for the next season and excited about him. Jude, go ahead and stand up. I just want them all to see you. Very powerful. He loves this. Anyway, there he is. There he is. Jude Russell, and uh, love that boy. And uh, I, had the I had a great dad. We have a great dad. He worked in a factory an air conditioning factory for 30 years and didn't miss one day of work in 30 years. <laughs> I just, that right there marked me. He was up most mornings at 3.30 because he liked to get to work about an hour and a half early to get everything set up. He was a little weird that way, but, you know, it wasn't about, he wasn't, it, it, you know, he, he, he wasn't the smartest guy or the most articulate or he didn't have all the gifts of so many other people, but he was always there. And he was always present, and he would schedule his vacations around my two-a-day football practices in August. I mean, that's a good dad. I mean, most all dads are supposed to be at the games. He didn't miss practices. <laughs> and that just wrecked me, man. I'll never forget it. In a hot August in Arkansas, you know, it's slugging out there. You're in your two-a-day football, everything's, and I'm seeing dad at 3 o'clock sitting in the stands and that just wrecked me so deeply, and I'm forever grateful for my dad because he showed me faithfulness, hard work, showing up, being present. And it's not about all the gifts. It's not even about all the other stuff, you know. Uh, it's about who he was to us, and I just deeply love my dad, and I just wanted to honor him publicly, though he's not here. But I called him this morning, told him I loved him, and we're going to be hanging out here soon. But <laughs> anyway, who's grateful for your dad, huh? Good or bad or ugly? I'm grateful for dad. It's not even so much about, you know, there is no perfect dad. You know, everybody's on a journey. There's only one perfect father. 
Jesus says, no one's perfect but my father. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for good dads and bad dads that lead me to Father God. You know, all the different raisings we had. Because when you start talking about God, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but God as Father, it exposes a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, a lot of, because that's really the place of prayer is found in the revelation of the Father. But I found for my life that nothing's exposed a lot of my weaknesses like fathering. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I, I, you know, it, it shines the light. I feel like I probably make a C minus most of the time, but I'm grateful for the grading curve of Jesus. Who's grateful that he grades on a curve? I'm serious. I mean, I, the Lord gave me three girls, and so he's coming after, and so my journey's been a journey into tenderness, has been a journey into patience, has been a journey into a lot of things, and so I've done some things wrong, probably yelled a little bit too much, probably been too intense at times, lock in on certain things that I won't let go, but my kids can all say that I've fought for connection. I, 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 I'm always keeping a, a, a steady, where's our connection at? Where's our connection? Are we connecting at the heart level, always looking for trips? And so I'm always in that mode. And uh, I want to encourage you dads, don't disengage. Don't pull back. When you hit walls, you know, it's, you know, it's, I loved a lot of the things, but when you hit those walls of disconnect or whatever, refuse to back out of it because you don't know how to fix it or you don't know what to do in those places, but press through into deeper places of connection. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't run to ESPN. Don't run to the golf course. Don't run to your job but actually contend for breakthroughs with your kids. And it's not even about having all the answers or doing everything else like that. So that's my one piece of advice to you guys. I wrote down a couple of things right here. It's a journey into tenderness. Yeah, I was really intense. I've got a couple of notes here because I want to just talk about the Father, and then I want to get into the Father that Jesus knew this morning. I was really intense. You know, we have a 21-year-old and we have a 10-year-old. So my 21-year-old, when we just got saved, and we were really intense, um, we came out of a lot of deliverance backgrounds. Everything was a demon. A demon was behind every bush. Do you find that you were a lot more intense with your first one than you were your last one? Two of you are. Okay. So we, everything was a demon for our 21-year-old. And so... Dana's mom sent, um, <laughs> Dana's mom didn't know, and so she sends Trinity, our oldest, a unicorn and uh, gave a unicorn doll to her. And we had heard unicorns were sexual demons. And, <laughs> and so I get in from a trip, and Dana said, hey, I just want you to know mom got him a unicorn, got her a unicorn. I go, okay, okay. And I prayed through it. I go, you know, I can't sleep. There's unicorns in my house. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, I go into a room and I cut the horn off. I cut the horn off. I said, I can deal with a horse. I can't deal with a unicorn. Trinity comes in the next morning with a Band-Aid over its head. Daddy, I led him to Jesus. I led him to Jesus. Can he stay? I go, yes, he can, but keep that Band-Aid on there. It'll show up in some theophostic session, I know, inner healing session, but... 
now Hadassah probably got 10 unicorns in a room. I don't know. But um, <laughs> no, I don't. I'm so a little intense about it because I don't know what they are. But anyway. It's my fathering story. I don't know. What, what do you think, Maya? What do you think? I love it. Our kids represent different. You know, our, our, our kids are gifts from heaven. They're words from heaven to us. They're actual gifts and words. I remember Trinity was our missionary. She, and they're, the, they're, they're almost like the banner revelation of seasons. Trinity was our missionary kid. She's had missions in her bones. It was the season we moved to Kansas City to uh, join the house of prayer. Maya, I got gripped in 2002 with the book of Jeremiah, and I came out of this season saying, Lord, let, uh, Dana, let's have a kid. Let's name him Jeremiah. And we get pregnant, go through two ultrasounds, can't see what he or she is. But I said, Jeremiah's coming, Jeremiah's coming. Out comes a girl on March 4, 2003, we knocked off Jera and named her Maya. <laughs> and that spirit is on her life. That's who she is. She is the prophetic, the house of prayer season to us. And then we had Hadassah in, in an awakening season in 2010, and she is our healing, our joy, our joy bomb, and our healing. And they're words from heaven to us. They're words that speak to us. And I just, you know, anyway, this is just, what, one of my favorite things is the CVS runs or the long drives. I love driving. I love to take one of my kids, let them play all their favorite songs, and in that space, let conversations come up. Conversations about life, conversations about whatever. And I've just always fought for the little windows, the little dates, the little 10-minute things, and the eye connect, the heart connect, and how are you doing? And I just hate you know, just going through motions with our kids, with our wives, with anybody. And I just want to say to everybody, fight for connection. Fight for connection. Get, get engaged. If you've made an F plus, step back into it today. All right? If you ain't talked to your dad in a while, call him today. I don't want to, I, I always say I want to live my life on my deathbed. Everything that's important on your deathbed should be important for the rest of your life. Why does it take deathbed encounters to get us to ask people for forgiveness that we couldn't ask them for 20 or 30 years? I want you to begin to fight for those connections. That's things that I care about deeply, man. But I want to say to you, a lot of us are like, my God, it's, all, it's so hard when you touch these points. I want to say to you right now that my, we, we, we look at guys, we're hard on guys. And I just want to say, I see you, the Lord sees you. And when we're calling you into fatherhood, a lot of us will come under shame because we're not reaching the mark. We'll fall under guilt. I'm not doing it like I should. And I want to say to you, your growth into fatherhood is not based in your willpower to become a better dad. Yeah, you can do some things. I, I want to tell you, it's not about trying harder. It's about beholding the father and encountering the father. Okay? And, and I want to take you, and I want you to feel this we want to come out of our caves of shame. You want to come out of your caves of, I haven't done it right. Well, today is a new day, and you could begin to make steps towards connection. But I want to tell you it's not found in you trying harder. One of the greatest Bible verses, can you put 2 Corinthians 3.18 up here? 2 Corinthians 
I would say it's staying engaged, and I would say it's asking forgiveness a lot. But we all with, whoa. Hello. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a principle in Scripture called beholding becoming. That whatever you behold in God is what you become. Christianity is not about trying harder. I think it's good to exert your will, to schedule your times, to fight for date nights, to fight for connections with your kids. But it's more than just, I got to be better. That doesn't have sustaining power from the inside. It's by beholding and being fathered by the father that Jesus knew. I want to call us into discovery of the father that Jesus knew. There's an amazing verse. Can you put up Luke 2, 49? We meet Jesus. The first time we meet Jesus after he comes into the temple at eight days old, we see him at 12 when he goes to Jerusalem and he's in the temple, and we know that the caravan leaves and they go, oh, my goodness, Jesus is left back in Jerusalem. They come back and they go, son, where were you? And he goes, and he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I think it's so interesting right there because the revel. do you know that in the book of John, the father is spoken of a hundred times. Jesus came to bring the revelation of God as father. That is the most groundbreaking, earth-shattering revelation that has ever touched the planet is God as Abba, as Papa, as Daddy. That revelation is what Jesus brought to the planet and I, I love to read a verse like that and go, and when did it shift for Jesus? As a good little Hebrew boy, Jewish boy, who would always do all of his prayers from an early age, all of his, you know, all of the readings and all of his prayers, when did it shift from just Adonai into Abba? When did it shift from the normal prayers of a Hebrew boy into Abba, my Abba? Now, that's profound. He was already in touch with it at 12 years old. He was already in touch. You must understand that Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man, and he grew. See, it's the mystery of the incarnation and the mystery of the, the God-man that he learned things. He grew. He came into revelations. And he came into the revelation of Adonai as Abba. He was already in touch with this. We know what happened at his baptism. We know at 12 years old, the next time we see him, can you put Luke 3? I'm going to run through some verses. I want you to see it. I wish I could tease out book of John and we walk through every one. Look at Luke 3.22. Look at this. Holy Spirit, Jesus comes out of the waters and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven. I mean, don't just run past that. A voice came from heaven. Everybody heard it. This, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. I want to tell you, that is the absolute critical, if there's nothing else that you get, there's no growth that does not grow from that place. If Jesus had to receive it at 30 years old, 
before he ever preached a message, before he ever delivered or healed or did anything, the father openly validated his son as his beloved. Which means Jesus did what he did out of the overflow of who he was. He didn't do it for beloved identity. He did it from beloved identity. And that you will not do anything. You will not do, you will spend your whole life, because guys, we're just wired this way. We're performance-driven, we're task-oriented, and that's the beauty of how God's made us. But Jesus is receiving open validation in you. I am well-pleased. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. You're the son of my, you're the son of my pleasure. And by right of Jesus receiving it, you must step into that place and receive your beloved identity, your belovedness, the one that belongs to him, the one that's enjoyed by him, the one that he delights in. Do you know Abba enjoys you? He actually likes you. He actually enjoys you. And you're like, I I can't even get my head around that. But I want you to know, spend the next year feeding on that revelation. Jesus came to reveal Abba to the planet. And do you know Abba was an Abba before he was creator? He was an Abba. He was Abba before he created anything, which means this. Intimacy always precedes productivity. Before he ever created anything, he was a father. Beholding a son through the Holy Spirit. The father and the son and the Holy Spirit in life before the foundation of the world. He is a lover at the core of his being. He is a father at the core of his being. When I think about fatherhood, I think about the place of security, the place of stability, the place of belonging the place of acceptance, the place of inheritance, the place of discipline that's not rejection. He disciplines those that he loves. If he really loves you, you'll be disciplined by him. Because he doesn't spank other parents' kids. (laughs) Look at this. Can you put up here John 2.18? We're about to have fun this morning. I'm just jumping into it. I love you, Brett. Jesus. Maybe I put up the wrong verse. When did Jesus go into the house? When did he go into the temple and cleanse it? It's in John 2 somewhere. He came in, and what did he call the temple? Father's house. He called the temple the place of prayer, Father's house. You can take that verse off. It didn't land. <laughs> Here's my question for you right now is that I don't, I, I, I want us all, we look at Father's Day, and I feel like we do the women a lot better, honestly. I do. I feel like we're always, and I, I'm all about honoring and loving every mom. They do a lot more, and they're awesome. But most of our stuff to guys are just get better. Come on, try harder and do stuff. And I don't feel like we're honoring to fathers like we are to our moms. 
And I want to just honor you men, and I want to say it matters to God. It matters to him. You're so pleasing to him. And I, this is the core thing because we're all little boys trying to please dad. And then you got to receive that at the core of your being or you'll spend your whole life trying to make another million, trying to buy another house, buy another this, get another that, achieve another success metric until you come into that place. Look at Jesus, John 14, 9. John 14, 9. He says this. He, he keeps telling him, he goes, guys, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, I am the living embodiment. I am the manifestation. I am the articulation of the Father. He says, the Father dwells in me and I dwell in the Father. The works I do, I don't do by my, it's the Father who's in me who does the works. Jesus is the face of Abba. He is the face of Abba. Hundred times in the book of John. I love it. Prayer was not a religious exercise to Jesus. It was effortless as breathing. That's why when he taught us to pray, he says, pray, our Father. The revelation of fatherhood is absolutely critical to intimacy and authority in prayer. Most believers live in the front yard of Christianity. Most of us live in the front yard of Christianity, either the younger son partying or the older son performing. And yet there was a third son telling the story in Luke 15. And it was the son who was in the house. Y'all know the prodigal son story? Y'all want to see a five-fold revelation of the father? Look, can you put Luke 15, 20 up here? This is one of the greatest verses that will change your life. Come on up a room, Frisco. We know, we know it's you. You don't have to. You ain't got to brand everything. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you got to brand everything. <laughs> yeah. Try to brand the Bible over here. Come on. I love this story. Jesus gives us a parable in Luke 15 about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and then he tells us a story about a lost son. And the younger son comes to dad, and he says, Dad, can you go ahead and give me my inheritance now? Think about you showing up to your dad. Which means you can go ahead and die now. Whatever I'm going to get, when you die, can I get it now? And the crazy thing is the, the father in this story gives it to him. Well, the son takes the inheritance, runs off, strong, proud, independent, runs off to Vegas and parties hard for a few years. And all of a sudden finds out that his inheritance runs out and he finds himself living under the bridge, eating what pigs eat. He's in bad shape and a revelation hits him. You know what? The guys who work for dad got it better than me. I'm going to go back home and just work out in the field for them, with them. And that's be my relationship with dad. So he says, he came to himself. I'm going to arise and go to my father. And I love this. This is absolutely amazing. 
You've got about two years that go by. The son left so strong, independent, strutting. And I always, when I see this verse, I always think about the father. Two years later, he's outside in the front yard working, and I always picture the mile-long uh, driveway. I, that's what I love about the Gospels. They're so vivid with imagery and pictures. I always picture the mile-long driveway, and I see the father looking, and he sees the silhouette of a barely clothed, broken, dirty, nappy kid, a silhouette of a man that doesn't look like anything of the man, of the, of the man that left two years earlier, walking down the way, and he knows immediately it's his son. Luke 15, 20, hear me, is the fivefold revelation of your father, hear me, in your most vulnerable places of your life. I want you to dial up the most shameful, vulnerable areas because there's all we're all on a journey of coming fully home. We're all on a journey of prodigal areas. We mostly just leave this for the kid that parties and then he comes back to Jesus. That's the prodigal son. We can check that off our life. No, Jesus is bringing forth a revelation of Abba to the planet. This is the father Jesus knows. This is the father Jesus knows. And he goes, I want you, and this is what I love about this favorite verse. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, which means he's still working it out. What you're about to read is about how your father feels about you when you're still working it out, and you will never fully get back to the house until you let him do this to you when you're still working it out. This is the most groundbreaking, earth-shattering revelation that will change your life. Look at the father Jesus knew when he saw his son at a great way off. It says this. Number one, the father saw him. That's the first step of coming into the father's house is letting him see you there and turning your eyes to him in that most vulnerable place. How did the father feel when he saw him? Fathers in that ancient world normally and typically would have begun to scream down the driveway, I told you this would happen. I told you if you took my inheritance, you went out there and you slept with harlots, you made a mockery of my name, you made a mockery of our family, bring him to the city square and let's stone him. Look at what you've done to my name. It's not the father Jesus knows. It says he saw him and he had compassion. There is a profound compassion of your father towards you in your most vulnerable areas. He is a compassionate father. He's a tender father. I don't care what your dad was like. I don't care how good or bad he was like. You have a compassionate heavenly father. This is who he is. This is who he is. What we're cutting out of our life is another father called the father of lies who has bombarded you with lies about the nature of Abba. And it has caused you to shrink, 
to hide, to build a different metrics of success and greatness outside the Father's house. It says he had compassion. Oh, this, this, if you don't do anything this week, I want this verse for you to say over and over again. Number three, <laughs> he ran. <laughs> He's an active papa. He's an engaged papa. He's a running father. No, no. He's not just sitting on some ball of light thrown at a distance. He's the engaged father. Case in point, the coming of Jesus. He is the outstretched arm. Do you know Jesus is the outstretched arm of Abba? He is Abba's reach to a broken humanity, and he's broken humanity's reach to Abba. He's the arm of the Lord. Oh, do you have a view? Now, this is the thing that, that I don't want you to leave in this. All of this happened while he was still a great way off. Most of us say, God, let me get up to the house, and then I'll deserve those five things. Let me prove to you, because that's at the end of the day what we're all trying, men. We're trying to prove something to Dad. Let me prove to you that I can, by my own willpower, get up to the house, and then I'll deserve that. And the Father says to you, until you let me do it there, you will never get up here. It's the gospel, man. He arose, came to his father when he was still a great way out. Father saw him. Number two, had compact. Number three, run. Do you have a, a view of a running father? Number four, he fell on his neck. And he kissed him. Do you have a view of a kissing father? A kissing father. No, for real, can he kiss you when you're still working it out? He's going to go into his whole rehearsal of his speech, and dad's in essence going to just tell him to shut up. You're not dictating the terms. I am. I'm dictating the terms of relationship here. Your track record doesn't dictate how we're going to relate. And I'm not even going to argue with you or get caught up. You can go ahead and burn up the little speech you got prepared. I want to give you a challenge, men, in this season is open your heart to the Father Jesus knew. Open your heart to him. Let him meet you there. Let him touch those deepest places when you get exposed. Because as I said, parenting exposes. It reveals. It highlights your deficiencies and your weaknesses. And the Father meets you there. There's another son in the story. And father has to run out to him too. You know, most of us always love the prodigal son story. We're hard on the religious one because we know Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. 
But do you know father ran out to both sons? And do you know he loves the religious Pharisee in us? And is tender towards the religious Pharisee in us as he is the wild party goer. Some of you have been working so hard to please Abba, you never enjoy intimacy with Abba. You never enjoy the benefits of the house because you're always working to get his attention. You don't know you have it. Most believers spend the majority of their Christian life knocking on a door into a room they're already in. You're trying to get into a room you're already in. The journey of Christianity is the revelation you're in. Not going to be, not when you do, you're in. So it's the exhale of the gospel. And the power of that exhale delivers you from all the strivers and the, the taskmasters and the, the checklist master that's constantly bombarding and berating you and telling you, highlighting three A's. I want to talk about that C. <laughs> anyway, Jesus. The father Jesus knew. You know that. Jesus, father runs out to the other son. The son goes, he goes, I've been working for you all these years. Can you look? put that up there, Luke 15? There it is. He answered and said to his father, look at this. Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Look at his. But as soon as, look at this, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, And you know this. You know when the Pharisee's hitting you. You know the Pharisee's alive in you when you work harder than everybody to dot every I, to cross every T, to make him happy, and you're just getting angrier and more bitter and more closed heart, and you can't celebrate anybody else. See, this is what sonship does. It frees the heart from competition. It frees the heart from sonship. Because the orphan sees when somebody else is blessed, it's being taken from me. And sons understand they're living in the Fort Knox of spiritual blessings. And they're in the house, and that Abba sees them, and it's not for someone else. And I want to be free to fully celebrate everybody else and not see it as something taken from me. Soon as this son of yours came, he's devoured your livelihood. He's been down there in the red light district for the last two years. You killed the fatted calf for him. And look at Abba. Look at it. He says, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. He goes, you had access to party whenever, however, however you wanted to, you could have partied. But you're so busy trying to get my attention and trying to get into the house. You didn't know you had access to everything in the house. There's three sons in the, it's right, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He's a good father. He's a compassionate father. He's a kissing father. 
He's a running father. He's, a, he's an intentional father. He's after you. He's a good father. I want you to know that he's a safe father. He's kind. Hallelujah. Holy Father, righteous Father. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, he's not a beggarly father. He's not a cheap father. He's a generous father. He's an extravagant father. He's patient. That's a lot of the things I've had to learn in my journey. He's patient, and he doesn't have intense conversations every time. You know, <laughs> I've found the power of play and of, because that's my biggest journey is everything is so intense and everything's so epic and it has to happen now. And if it doesn't happen now, it's going to get short-sighted and we're going to lose it the moment. And I'm just, the, think about how the father fathers you and he doesn't bring up every earth-shattering thing every time you talk to him. He's really in just a you getting comfortable. You know, I remember the old story about you can't drive a 20-ton truck over a five-ton bridge. So he, he spends a lot of time building 100-ton-pound 100 100 pound bridges so that your heart can handle five-ton conversations. So it looks like a lot of not awesome hangout times. And just getting comfortable and being enjoyed by him that tenderizes your heart to handle his correction and his discipline. And it doesn't reject you, and you're not seeing it as rejection because you're safe in the history that's been built with him. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We love you. I remember, you know, this, just a couple more minutes. Then, I remember uh, we had just moved to Kansas City. I've had two times this revelation has just so deeply touched my life. Me and my wife got engaged, and we didn't do the best on our boundaries. <laughs> So I came out of our, we got married, and I had the, right when we got married, I said, God, I don't know who that guy was, but this guy will never let you down again. I'm your guy. Let's roll. So I went on two 40-day fast my first year salvation, or first year marriage. <laughs> you know, most people don't do anything. I did two 40-day everything. was just never enough, driven, driven. Dana's awesome. Dana's running with me, so we're going. Never enough, though, never enough. I was driven by a fear that if I ever let up, I would backslide. I was fear that if I ever took my foot off the pedal, I'd backslide. And so we moved to Kansas City, and we jump into IHOP, and if I was a four of intensity before, i go to about a nine. But there's grace on my life. I'm encountering God, but I'm driven by a fear of belonging. And I remember I had June of uh, 20, it was probably right around this time, June of 2001. So here we go, 20 years ago. I go to Norway with a guy by the name of Gary Weens, 
and we went to uh, a YWAM base in Christensen, Norway. And I'm just, I mean, heck, I had, we had to pay for our own flight. We pretty much emptied our bank account for, we, for us to go. Dana felt I was to go, maybe just to give herself a break for a week. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she goes, no, honey, I think this is God. You need to go. <laughs> and uh, we, I go to Norway, and uh, we would only teach in the morning at the DTS. They'd just do 9 to noon. Well, Gary's an introvert. He goes spend the rest of his day in his room. So I guess I'm going to my room. You know, we're in Norway. It's beautiful, but whatever. I go to my room, and I, over the next six days, the Lord says, Corey, I want to talk to you about the season you keep trying to forget. And the Lord began to walk me through the story. Can you put up here John 13, 33? The Lord began to walk me through the story of Peter in the upper room discourse. And I, and I want to tell you, this is growing in me right now. Upper room, this, our, our family, our spiritual family is built around John 13 through 17. And if there's a portion of scripture you're looking to feed on, I want to call you to John 13 through 17. It's the where the Father stabilizes weak hearts for hours of transition. Okay? Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, I want you just to follow all this. It's just beautiful, and I'll, then I'll pull in my story with it all. He goes, Jesus saying, guys, where I'm going, you can't come, so now I say to you. Next verse. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. 35. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And just like us, no, go to, yeah, 36. And just like us, Nobody pays attention to the new commandment about loving one another. Simon goes back to verse 33. Lord, where, where are you going? <laughs> he goes, where are you going? <laughs> it actually is connected to our inability to love one another. It's because of competition, comparison. We're fighting. And your inability to love one another is because of lack of security in the Father's house. Simon goes, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> he goes, Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Everybody say now. But you shall follow me afterward. Everybody say afterward. He goes, there has to come a shift for you to be able to follow me in the way I'm calling you to follow me. You can't do it now. You're not you don't have the revelation and the equipment to follow me. Something's got to happen. There's a now and an afterward. Well, I love this because Jesus says, you can't follow me now. Well, Peter's thinking, okay, then, are you needing me? Y'all lock in with me. Five more minutes. Okay, this is profound. This is, this is profound to me. It changed my life twice in my life. This encounter has showed up to me. 2000 and 2016. He said, Lord, where are you going? I love this. Jesus is saying, you can't follow me now. Where am I going? You can't follow me now. You're going to follow me after. So Peter goes, okay, Lord, you're looking for me to show some unique uh, uh, separation of my devotion for you that separates me from everybody else. Okay, I understand what you're looking for. You're looking for everybody to line up, and whoever can jump the highest will move into this next season with you. I love Simon's heart because he says, Lord, I really want to be with you. I really want to follow you. He says, Lord, where are you going? 
And then he says this, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I love that heart. It's the longing to be with Jesus. But he had a messed up paradigm of what Jesus was looking for. He goes, oh, I know what you're looking for. You need devotion. I will lay down my life for your sake. I'm going to show you my unique devotion. I love you more than everybody else. I'll die for you. Jesus goes, Peter, I love you, buddy. Will you really? I say to you that by this time tomorrow morning, you will have failed me more miserably than anybody in history on the most important night of human history. I mean, think about your story written in the Bible. He goes, this is the most epic night of human history, and the whole world's going to know forever you're the biggest coward of everybody. <laughs> but I love Jesus. <laughs> he says it. You're not as awesome as you think. You're not as dedicated as you think. You're not as devoted. And you're going to hit a wall that exposes all the fault lines on the inside of you. That's going to bring to the surface all the, the fear, all of the, all of the drivenness, all of the insecurity on the inside of you. You're going to hit a wall, and it's going to bring you to the surface. But look at John 14, 1. I love this. He goes through this. He goes, let not your heart be troubled. When you come into the revelation of how jacked up you are, at that moment, I want you to put your eyes on me. I want you to believe in me, and I want you to put your whole faith in me to bring you where you cannot get yourself. Look at John 14, too. Then he says this, in my father's house, there's Abba's house. You know, the new Jerusalem is called Abba's house. The new Jerusalem is Abba's house. But I think it's also speaking about Father's heart. You're going to come in. In my Father's house are many mansions. What he's saying is, buddy, there is so much room in Father's house. And then he addresses the core fear. If it were not so, I would have told you. The core fear was there isn't room. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, 14.3, and I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Well, the Lord visited me in Norway for five, six days. He laid me on the back, and the Holy Spirit led me through a five- or six-day theophostic session as he says, Corey, you've been a slave outside the house. You've been driven by a spirit of fear of thinking you had to show unique devotion to secure your place in my heart, secure your place in my house, and Corey, I'm bringing you into the Father's house. I'm bringing you into the Father's house. I'm not going to go through all of that. The whole story of Peter, his restoration is glorious. It's amazing. But I want to tell every one of you right now that put your eyes on that man. Put your eyes on that man. And when you hit those walls that reveal to you that you're not as awesome as you thought, don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't disengage. Don't disconnect. 
Put your eyes on Jesus. Let him father you through those seasons and let him embrace you. When you hit the wall, instead of running from him, run to him. Don't run from him, run to him. Let him enjoy you there and watch what will happen as he brings you into the house. We've been living in the front yard way too long. You are great not because of the size of your bank account. You are successful not because of the size of your bank account and your portfolio. You are not awesome by how much work you have and how many accolades in the business realm you have. You are, you are successful because you are deeply loved and enjoyed by Abba. You are a child of his. You have his DNA pumping through your veins. You've been liberated from the spirit of bondage again to fear. You have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry Abba. You are not defined by any outside metric. You are defined as those who are loved by Abba. I'm loved and I'm a lover, therefore I'm successful. I'm loved and I'm a lover, therefore I'm successful. Because living from within the house is where inheritance flows. It's in the house is where inheritance flows. The inheritance of belonging, the inheritance of access, the inheritance of being. And that's where the, the purposes of God flow through your life. But it's not flowing to get into the house. It's flowing from within the house. And the inheritance doesn't crush you, but you become a steward to release it. There's a vast difference. I know we're touching deep core stuff, but that's what Father does. That's why you're, I want to I wanna, I wanna say to you, your prayer life, is weak, it's because your view of God as Father is weak. You are intimate to the degree that Father is in your spiritual reality. And, and I believe that God wants to establish a whole generation confident in his prayer and confident in prayer, belonging, inheritance, that we don't see his discipline as his rejection. Hebrews 12, it says those whom he loves, he chastens. He says, I've been through the discipline of the Lord. I've been through chastening seasons. I've been through the Father's divine dresser, and he prunes, and he cuts back, and he, he exposes. But we live in such a world because of our fractured view of God, we take discipline or lack or cutbacks or whatever, as a hard season. And it's like, no, this is a sign of my love and affection for you. I'm actually preparing you for billions of years. It's a temporary discomfort, but it's eternal glory. Don't run from me. Don't run to the, don't run to the job. Don't run to that. Don't run to a new wife, a new job. Don't run from it. Stay in the pocket. Take your whipping like a good son so we can move into the next season. <laughs> I love him for that. It's hard, but I've never felt so close to Abba than when I was being disciplined by him. 
I've never felt more loved by him. I've never felt more enjoyed by him and more close to his heart than in the discipline seasons. Hebrews 12 says that we get discipline so that we can become partakers of his holiness. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're not illegitimate. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. Amen? Amen, amen. Let's stand. I just want to pray for the fathers this morning. We won't go long. We'll just a little prayer, and I just want to bless you, fathers. I want to call you because that's what we need. And I want, I'm going to tell you, too, this is how I define even fathers and spiritual fathers. It's when you get a bigger vision than yourself. Orphans, their whole identity, and it's all about their destiny. Fathers are thinking transgenerational. we got to get a transgenerational consciousness. And what if the dreams in your heart are not going to be fulfilled by you but by your children? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the things that are in your heart may not be fully realized by you? All the fathers, I want you to lift your hand. I just want to pray for you. If you got a wife next to you, put your hand on him. Pour the love of the Father right now into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Pour the love of the Father into our hearts right now by the Holy Spirit. Father, bring sons into the house. Bring sons into the house. I bless every man in this room, every natural father and every spiritual father. Jesus was a single man, and he's called the everlasting father. So it's not even about there's the spirit of the Father. He wants to rest upon all men, all women. God, I just pray right now for the fathers. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. I rip out every accusation against you, every tormentor by the father of lies. I expose every lie and accusation and torment and voice that says you're not enough. You don't measure up. There's more for you to prove. I rip that out, and I pray for the spirit of adoption to rest upon this house. The spirit of adoption to rest upon every father. And that you would raise up fathers in this house, both here in Dallas and Denver, and all the campuses, God, I pray that you would raise it up and that we would be able to celebrate. And I pray that you would entrust millennials and Gen Zers to our house. God, we love you so much. And God, I just say, Abba, I love you. Abba, I love you. Abba, I love you. Thirty more seconds. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I bless you, men.
Bless you, man. Behold what manner of love that we should be called children of God. I speak to every man in this place. I say, you're enough. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do what you did to me, Jesus. Just take us through just some wild Bible, Holy Spirit, and Abba and us. It's got to happen in a hunting stand or in a, in a back porch or a car ride. Bring every man in this house fully into your house. I even declare it right now. There's been even financial lack on some of you. And I want to tell you the source of the financial promises and blessings are in the house. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Orphans grasp and hoard. Sons receive and release. <laughs> we don't fight for, we fight from. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In the name of Jesus, amen.